Welcome to another edition of Stokes and Folks. I'm your host, Spencer Stokes, and we have another exciting show today. And uh, I'm really excited because I have some fellow podcasters in the underground podcast studio. And uh, I have joining me today, uh, Nina Barnes. Welcome, Nina. Thank and, you. And Yandri Chatwell. And they... Chatwin. Chatwin. Thank you for correcting me. See, you, you thought we were going to edit. We're not going to edit that. It's just part of the whole show. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, they are doing a podcast on Real Women Run that will be released on February 14th. And why on February 14th, Nina? Well, one, because it's Valentine's Day, but most importantly, because that's the day that Seraph Young uh, cast the first vote in the country. So right here in Salt Lake City. That's right. And every, every person that I ever have taken a tour of the House Chambers from Wyoming always want to start arguing with me. And I and I, I have to say, no, no, you're right. Wyoming was the first state to give women the right to vote, but we had an election before Wyoming did. So the first women, woman to actually cast a vote was in Utah. And yeah. so we went on a technicality. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so, we'll take it. We win. Uh, yeah, another, another thing that we've just been discussing, that David Koch, who painted the two new murals mm -hmm. in the uh, house chambers on the, the north and south side of the chamber, one is a ski jump, uh, <laughs> and the, on the other side is Sarah Young casting her vote, and there is a sign in the, if you're ever in the chamber, that said vote, says voters proceed, and David Koch painted a small heart between the word voters and proceed to tell everyone a hat tip to it was February the 14th was the day that that happened. So tell me a little bit about the podcast. I don't care who wants to go first because it's going to be an interesting series. It'll, the first year was six and you're interviewing elected officials, women elected officials, correct? Yeah. Well, we're both really excited to get to co-host this podcast and it's been years in the working and a lot of support from the Real Women Run board. And it was brilliant because we put this podcast out right and, and uh, recorded it all during a pandemic. So just remarkable, but we just didn't want to lose the opportunity to get in and interview women across the state really making a difference in leading. And so Yandri kind of organized what it would look like and what the seasons would look like. And I'll let her talk a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah, so I had the privilege to serve as chair of Real Women Run last year, like Nina said, during a pandemic. So our year had to look a little different. We typically hold in-person trainings to help women learn the ins and outs of how to run for office, how to get involved on uh, a border commission, or just generally how to jump into the process. But since we weren't able to have these in-person trainings, we were looking for other ways that we could reach women. We want more women to get involved, and we thought a podcast was a great way to do that. So we talked to several women across the state holding offices at different levels, and we got to hear a little bit about what they do, and it was fascinating to hear uh, some of their background stories, the similarities, and the the differences and unique aspects of their individual jobs. Did did so you you cover you cover them decide you know probably talk about when they decided to run, mm -hmm. um, what their campaign was like, and then what governing is like. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that you went yes. kind of through all the phases of of a <laughs> a, a, a life of a of a campaign politician elected official. So tell us, just give us a breakdown of the six episodes and who, who you're interviewing and what, 
you know, kind of what the interesting topics were. I, I know that there were some stories that probably stuck out as you were interviewing each of these women, but each episode is just one woman. It's not a it's not a, a whole bunch of women in each episode. It's one elected official, female elected official. Or two. Okay, or two. All right. And then and then we'd have a conversation. But back to your question about the questions. And we really tried to have it kind of just be organic and just to have a conversation and not ask every single elected official the same questions. We just wanted to have a conversation. But there were themes okay. that definitely came out in every conversation so, and built upon themselves. So I've never heard a podcast done, and maybe it's... And maybe it's just because they're being interviewed all the time on television and radio. Men are being interviewed all the time. And so there's no, no need to try to do something to encourage women to run. But I, I always tell women whenever I talk to them that are talking about running, look, all men know you're going to make a better candidate than the man because you're going to outwork them. Because every woman I've known ever outworks men. They outwork men on campaigns, whatever it is, and I don't, I, I don't know if it, I mean, my own sex is just really lazy. <laughs> I haven't decided what that is, but women make outstanding candidates because they they are meticulous, they are thoughtful, they are they think through things prior to, to running. So I'd really I'm excited to listen to this series, but I I want to talk about some of the things you found out about some of these women who, who are running. Maybe you could talk about all the women that you did interview. So a common theme is that even though you're saying men know that, the women themselves don't know that. They don't know that they would Interesting. make great candidates. And we, we heard that over and over again, that they had to be pushed by different people, that it took several things, several people asking them and to consider running for them to actually have the, the realization that, yes, I can do this. And we've, we've just known from the research and from these anecdotal experiences that that is an issue for women. They don't necessarily believe they're qualified. You look at um, a woman who is involved in her community, maybe she hasn't held a full-time job, but she's involved organizing community events and she volunteers and she has all this experience and maybe doesn't value that, but that woman is overqualified for a lot of <laughs> right. offices, but she doesn't know that yet. Yeah. And they bring, they bring a lot of the, their own experiences to the table. And, and that, that voice is missing. If you look at the population, 50% of the population are female. Yeah. And so that voice that really is needed to represent, um, you know, their views is missing in a lot of the public policy that's made in our state, cities, and counties. Absolutely, Lou. You're, you're really singing into the choir here because this is kind of <laughs> what we do. But, you know, Susan Madsen's research, she's a member of our board, and we really, really use a lot of that research, and it's the power of the nudge. And we see with a lot of males, they don't need to be nudged. They just kind of lean in to opportunity. But women really need four or five taps or nudges to really build up the confidence and believe they belong. They get there, and they still have serious imposter syndrome and feel like they're not, like their life experience was not um, preparatory in the same way that males feel their life experience is. But when you talk about that, their life experience complements when you're at the table and you're making decisions and you've had a different trajectory to get there. It's really powerful to that conversation and then the outcomes in policy or budget or whatever area. And we really value and see that that's the reason it's important to have diversity. I have, uh, uh, I know an individual who has said, who has said, well, you know, when I talk about trying to encourage women to run, I've had somebody say, well, you know, it's, it's really 
the reason we don't have more elected officials that are female, there's a lot of women that do run that don't get elected. And you have to say, well, why don't the women vote for them? Why don't the women who are voting vote for the women? And I don't know if you're going to cover that in one of your episodes, but you should. You should you should get some women in who are voters and ask them. So there was a woman on the ballot in your city and a man on the ballot in your city for mayor. Why did you vote for the man? I, I would really like to. So that's next ep- next season. That's one of the things I want you to start asking women why they didn't vote for the woman and they voted for the man. Because like you said, women bring, just like men do, they bring their life experience to the table. And we are we kind of are in a, in a great setting in the state where we have a citizen legislature. And so those voices need to be heard. And nobody's experience is better than the other person's experience, yeah. in my in in, you know, in my opinion. So, but but we're really changing, you know, hundreds of years of culture in right. who we see as a leader, and it's really difficult to change that because in our state, one of the worst in the country for women's participation in lots of areas, it's very difficult to see a woman as a leader because we haven't seen it. Right. And you know, the implicit bias is real, and we're navigating that. But it's really difficult to um, elect a woman when you've never seen one. Right. So episode one, who did you interview? We interviewed two city council women. Okay. Councilwoman Ana Valdemoros of Salt Lake City and uh, Councilwoman Natalie Pinckney of South Salt Lake. Both of these women are groundbreaking. They are um, members of communities of color. They represent marginalized voices in their cities, and they're first. Uh, Councilmember Pinckney was the first black uh, city council member elected in South Salt Lake. And Councilwoman Valdemoros is, uh, brings an important voice as an immigrant in addition to being involved in her community as a small business owner um, and in the many other ways she's involved. But it's so important to tell these stories because like Nina said, we don't see leaders like that. And so we need to elevate these stories so that more people can see people like them in office. Well, and they have a dual interesting story, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're women who are running mm-hmm. and they are also representing uh, underrepresented communities yes. uh, and and, and so tell me, just give me a little insight into what they said the experience was for them. Did they feel like they needed to, you know, either downplay uh, the fact that they were women or women of color, or did they feel like that was something they wanted to play up? Uh, tell me, did they get into that when they were campaigning, what their approach was, and, and did they feel any pushback? And did they have any stories that were, and I guess we'll have to listen to the episode <laughs> to find out, but did they have any stories that were disappointing in, in, uh, in their minds? Yeah, we definitely want you to listen, Spencer. But <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> One story I remember from our interview with Councilmember Valdemoros is her talking about her accent. Mm-hmm. She's from Argentina. She came to Utah to study at the University of Utah, and she's been here ever since. Um, but in the years that she's been here, she hasn't been able to kick her accent, and she felt like that was a barrier to being able to run for office um, in Salt Lake City. But as she continued to receive encouragement from people around her, pushing her to throw her hat in the ring, she realized, hey, I have this experience. I have skills, and I have a voice that I need to bring to the table. And she was successfully appointed to fill a, a vacancy on that city council and has since been reelected to that seat in her own right. Yeah. Fascinating. And, and the same with Councilwoman Pinkney. Her story was remarkable. She actually grew up in a home with a parent who was incarcerated. I mean, who, what, how many elected officials do we have in Utah with that kind of story? And so the levels of her different identities, she's young, I think she's, I don't know, 28, came here to go to the U and just has become engaged. And she sees 
the area of her influence and where she um, intentionally focuses her energy is very different because of those past experiences, which are very unique, right. even Salt Lake. Well, and and <laughs> like you said, you you bring these experiences to the forefront, and their experiences. But for them, no one would ever have been educated on them. So, see, episode two, What did, who did you interview next? Oh, my goodness. I wish I had the order memorized. <laughs> but I'll tell okay, you. Well, Let's just go in general. Yeah, just go in general, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about another person. Nina interviewed this person, so I'll touch a little bit briefly, and she can say a little bit more. But uh, in one of our episodes, we speak to two mayors, and the one I'm going to talk about is Mayor Donya Jessup of Hildale. Her story is incredible. She grew up in an FLDS community, got married at 17, raised 10 children. Um, She and her spouse eventually left the the community. And when she decided to come back, she was a single mom. Um, Her story was a little bit different, but she is not someone um, that the community had ever had a leader like. She's the first female mayor of Hildale. She's the first non-FLDS mayor of Hildale, and that caused quite a stir. But her story is remarkable. The experience that she brings, nobody else has that. And it's so important that we got to have that conversation with her. Fascinating. Yeah, I actually met her. Um, I, I'm from Southern Utah for the last 25 years. And so we have started, we've had about three real women run programs in Southern Utah, which is the first time we've ever had these conversations down South. And uh, she sat by me at her very first event, the week she had declared to run for mayor. She thought she was crazy. There was no way. And she went on to win that race. And it's just been remarkable to watch her leadership skills and what she has done in that community. I toured it last month and was in Warren Jeff's home and in the their meeting house. And just to see the healing that she has been able to facilitate with those people is amazing. And she once again sat there and thought, I'm not qualified. What do I have to offer? She was locked out of the city office this, the first day she went to work. They locked her out. No kidding. Like, these are remarkable stories. And that's just the impact that we're having across the state. That's amazing. What a, well, that, that, I, that another great episode. That will be fascinating to listen to, uh, because that and and quite frankly, what a way to show that things have changed in Hilldale. That a that a woman was elected to be the mayor, and of course, like every other story we've heard in history mm-hmm. about somebody who has, you know, challenged the establishment or uh, not not liked how they were treated and then, you know, pushed to, to change things. It's a, uh, that's an amazing story. Now you mentioned when we were talking a little bit before we started about interviewing the only female sheriff in, in the state. And maybe she is the only female sheriff ever elected in the state. Is that correct? You're correct. Yeah. So, um, Rosie, Rosie Rivera, um, what was, what was her, what was her story like? Oh my goodness, she is a teen mom, former teen mom. I had her first baby at 14 um, and married her high school boyfriend, uh, had, had a family. But her path is, again, each woman's path is like no other, but hers really is truly unique. She has this experience of being a member of a minority community, um, having that experience as a teen mom, a marginalized group that often often those, those young women are told that they, they're not going to make it. And she did. Um, she had this goal to join the law enforcement profession, and she's done that. And um, now she's the sheriff in Salt Lake County. That's an important role that she's filling. And she's the first woman, like you said, Spencer, the only woman to hold that currently, but also the only woman to ever have held that role in any county in Utah. 
which is incredible. So she was she's groundbreaking and on mm-hmm. multiple levels, oh, yeah. and and really probably groundbreaking in the law enforcement community mm-hmm. because she probably joined, she probably uh, became certified long before long before there were a lot of women, uh, and there still aren't a lot of women in law enforcement, but. Right. Uh, incredible. Did you interview any state legislative? Next not, season. Next season. <laughs> next the, season. We focused on municipal level, so county yeah. and city officials for okay. this, this season. Okay. Which is really, which is really a good idea, be, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because that's really where people start getting they 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 get their training wheels off. They they start seeing I can do this. I can I. I, I've been a city councilman, woman. I've been a mayor. I've been a county official. Um, did you interview any other county elected officials that are women, besides Rosie Sheriff Sheriff Rivera? I should probably be more respectful. <laughs> we sure did. Uh, we interviewed um, County Clerk in Salt Lake County, Sherry Swenson. Okay. And um, we also spoke with Amelia Powers Gardner, who is uh, a commissioner in Utah County. Right. We actually, when we set up the interview with her, she was holding a different role as the clerk auditor for the county. So mm-hmm. we kind of got a, a little bonus there. We got to talk to her about both of those roles and it was a a really fascinating conversation she in her profession is already breaking ground she's an engineer that's a field that's again heavily dominated by men so she is used to being the only woman or one of very few women in the room and it was really incredible to hear how that background translated to her experience in politics did did is she the first female utah county commissioner yeah is it I yeah. so. I, now, interestingly enough, so this is how advanced Weber County is. In <laughs> in 1992, I served with the first female Weber County commissioner mm-hmm. um, in Weber County, and interesting, interestingly enough, there's never been an well. There's been one other uh, commissioner, Camille Kane, but you know, broke kind of broke that glass ceiling, and then uh, and then another woman came along, and that's I think kind of how it's mm-hmm. going to work. If mm-hmm. if you can tell these stories and get these experiences out there, more more women will bring their perspective to. Give me, I'm gonna ask each of you this question. I want, I want you to tell me what, what your favorite story during, you know, of all the interviews, and you've listened, I'm sure, listened to each. You know, give me one story from the, the six that you, that, you know, episodes you did that oh, is one of your favorites. That's hard because I even general the theme that the themes I loved were just where their personal life experiences as females, we ask them this question often, really impacted a decision, a policy, a budget, something in their work that probably no one else would ever seen. We're seeing that right right now up on the hill with Representative Lizenby and this period project. It's just taking a cr- over all over the state. We have everyone in the state talking about this. And she saw a need on an issue that her male counterparts would have never pioneered. So that's just an example of what we saw in every single so, episode. Somebody asked me, I have a, have a little bit of knowledge of this, but somebody asked me, um, if this was going to be difficult, I said, oh, I don't know, it's 2022, and I think women have been <laughs> menstruating for a very long time, so uh, I don't know. It, it, you know, it, it does make you wonder why there have never been these machines in K-12, through you know, female restrooms, yeah. and, and here it is, um, you know, being championed now. And, and there were a group of very um, well-organized women who, Volunteers. who who volunteered <laughs> and have pushed that project, yeah. and it it is it is an exciting project, I think, um, for for moms and grandmas to help out their teens and young people who are 
who they didn't get the same treatment when they were in school yeah. and now so yes absolutely and men to ally to men to step yes. in and say this is an equity issue this is not a female yes. issue this is a human issue yes, yes and one, so one part of the bill that i think is really really important is that um, the program has to be advertised to all public school students because it's important for the girls and for menstruating students to have these resources but it's also important for a male and other students to know about about what women are experiencing and uh, menstruating students are experiencing in the schools. Yeah, so it's huge. I'll go back to your question, and I'm sure okay. I think it was the the county audit the elections. Yandri might you might help to help me out, but she talked about um, registering the wedding and to go get a, a, a marriage certificate, mm-hmm. and that she was serving, and and this man came in to get a marriage license, and he was oh 55, 56 years old, and I think was she 14 or 15, Yandri. She, uh, she was very young. young. And and this was just something she had to facilitate. It was part of her job. Mm-hmm. And she went away and she was mm-hmm. just so upset. And her coworkers said, well, it's happened before. With, you know, this is not that big of a deal. Well, mm-hmm. she took it into her own hands and she went and got legislation passed. And that's Sherry Swenson. Who did yeah, that. Sherry Swenson. Oh, yeah. And she changed that. And that's really just the impact you can have when, when you're at the table and something is particularly offensive to you as I, a woman. I've, I've been there. I worked in the county clerk's office. Yeah, there office you go. And, you know uh, it. Yes, it it absolutely that happened, and I watched I watched that happen, and I watched Sherry Swenson yeah. step up and and mm-hmm. facilitate getting it changed, yeah. and and Melon Valets. I mean, look at what that's become this issue, and Utah has pioneered in this, and it's because we've had the right people at the right time in the right position, right. to lead us forward because they cared and they they believed in the right to vote, and and women, yeah. Yours, Yandri. Tell me yours. Oh, my goodness. That's so tough. Um, I've talked about a few favorites already, but one that stood out, um, this might seem a little funny to mention this one, but we spoke with uh, Mayor Miley Wilson-Edwards, who recently completed her her last term as mayor in Cedar City. And I remember asking her what was unexpected after she won, like what, what was her experience like and how is it different than what she thought it would be. And she mentioned coming to the Capitol with her with her mother and some other officials and people congratulating her mother on um, on winning election as the first female mayor. And she said, thank you so much, but this is my daughter. She's the mayor. <laughs> um, and people maybe thought she was an intern. She was too young to be the mayor. At the time she was elected, she was the youngest person in state history mm-hmm. to ever be elected as mayor. And I don't know if that record still holds, but that's remarkable. The first female mayor of Cedar City and the youngest ever in the state at the time. And this happens to women all the time. Uh, women get underestimated, sometimes tokenized, but th- women bring so much to the table, and those ideas need to be heard. What What is interesting to me, uh, there's a common theme in some of the most of the stories you've told. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't just break one glass ceiling. They have broken <laughs> multiple in in their in their progress to that to that spot that that point. So I'm really looking forward to the series th- that are coming out, and the title of it is "Real Women Run." Yeah, uh, and it will be uh, it will be on all of I'm assuming on all the platforms yep. that you consume your podcasts on February the 14th. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, this has been another episode of Stokes and Folks. We would like to thank our special guests. Nina Barnes and Yandri Chatwin and like us wherever you get your podcasts and comment and we'd like to thank our producer Connor Sorensen Deacon Temples our sound engineer and and Rhett Kelton the assistant to the producer or assistant producer whichever one 
Hope to have you listen to us next week. 